Hello, welcome to episode 13 of the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm here with Todd. Hey, Jason. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm up this week on hot take, so uh, I will jump in with that. A little inspired from some commercials during the Tour de France, um, particularly ones talking about indoor training. And um, as, as with good advertising, right, they always promise you something that may or may not be true if you use the product. Okay. Um, but, but there's a little bit of a riff on what we talked about last week with your hot take about group rides, and it's particularly talking about like, oh, how fantastic and useful these indoor training virtual group rides are. And mm. I, I, I sort of rolled my eyes a little bit and like, well, but why? This has the same problem as outdoor group rides as discussed last week. But I think there's even less value. At least if I go on an outdoor group ride, I get to work on my handling skills, mm-hmm. you know, work on my pack riding, keep that sharp. I think that's one of the value I see in doing the group rides that I do. And also, of course, the social piece of it. Todd, hit me with the hot take. My, my point is, I think it's useless. I think it's actually less valuable than going on a outdoor group ride. So doing a group ride on a trainer in a virtual world is even less useful than a group ride outside, which we both decided is not the best use of your time. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm, I agree. I, I, I mean, I didn't <laughs> think you'd think it was terribly controversial, uh, but, it, but it's just interesting when you, you know, the advertising would have you, of course, uh, feel quite differently about that. Um, but I, just, I was thinking about it now, not to say that I don't think indoor training has value. I think, you know, virtual training and have very structured indoor training can have tremendous value and be quite useful. But the concept of an indoor training group ride, oh, that was just like an eye roller for me. So Yeah. Well, let me give you, <laughs> I don't use any of these indoor training um, group ride things or, I mean, we live in California, so we can ride outside the whole year round. Um, although I grew up in Delaware, I raced my first four or five years um, in Delaware and Pennsylvania. And I knew people who did use um, indoor group rides, and that's because it got dark at five, mm-hmm. and they would get home at five, and also it would be cold. And in the morning, it, it wouldn't get above freezing until maybe 10 a.m., so mm-hmm. they're already in work. So to to be able to do something that makes you forget that you're training on a trainer in the dead of winter it's already dark out. You have to come home from your job and ride for two hours and do threshold intervals. That's like not very fun. Uh, but to have one of these uh, software programs, maybe your friends are on there too. I don't really know how it works, but the few people that I talked to really liked that. It it did help them forget that they were just sitting there holding 300 watts for 20 minutes at a time. I mean, so I use it, right? Because it works for my schedule and having a young child for me to get up a little bit earlier and, and get on and, and do a ride. But for me, it's always going to be focused intervals. That's why I get on it because it gives me the ability to do these very structured workouts, right? And, and hammer out in a limited time, the very specific thing that I need, need to do to address the limitations that I have. Yeah. So I, I just, I don't see the value. Like I understand, I, I guess the, where I see the value in that, if possible, is if you weren't going to ride your bike, then some riding mm-hmm. is probably more valuable than no riding. So that, I mean, that's a difference in level. Mm-hmm. I mean, once you're a cat three, it's, you know, it's time to get serious about training mm-hmm. and it's not always going to be fun. Uh, maybe if you're a cat four, cat five or recreational rider. Um, yeah, it's better than sitting around. I think the other thing, um, 
my past coaches, when I was in Delaware, they said, you know, riding on the trainer is the best way to quit cycling. <laughs> that, and um, Phil Guyman talked about this in his book where he lived in Baltimore, very close by. And he was like, I have to move to Florida because I'm going to go insane. Mm-hmm. You know, count, he, he would count the minutes, you know, and he said he got very good at fractions in his book because uh, he said, I'm 120th of the way done my ride. And um, I, I agree. I think that you should try and stay off the trainer as much as possible. And any good coach will, if you have a trainer workout and they know you have a trainer workout, they will make that thing very concise. You know, mm-hmm. five minute warm up, five minute tempo, start your intervals. You know, here's your break. Okay, there's your second interval done. Get off. You know, yep, and absolutely. It's known that you should spend as little time as possible, and that's for morale. That's for mental. Uh, yeah, like I said, I think it it has the value in being a very specific tool to get a very specific prescribed workout done in, uh, in you know a limited amount of time right, for working people and such. And totally get it. I see the value there. Last thing I want to do is go on a two hour group ride on my trainer. Yeah, uh, like I you know I've spent long days on a trainer, but. Yeah, I wouldn't be doing the group rides on it. Yeah, maybe that's my my California bias coming out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it makes you ride your bike, that's the big thing. Um, but at the same time, if you want to optimize performance, just balance this stuff. If you're thinking about doing online group rides, so yes, fair enough. Uh, okay, so Todd, you have the first topic for the day. All right, yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about exercise and immunity. Um, this came particularly important to me since uh, over the weekend here I was not riding and you know letting my immune system do its work and recovering from uh, a stomach bug that my son shared with me. Kids so, are magnets for that kind of stuff, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, when you don't wash your hands as often as you should and you put them you know, in your mouth and who knows what um, young kids do. So they certainly, they do all the things that we as adults know that we shouldn't do if we want to stay healthy. Yeah. Like I wash my hands all the time, and especially being a healthcare practitioner. Okay, wait, how does a one-year-old wash their hands again? They, yeah. When when I wash them, he washes his hands. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> um, certainly certainly not like every time he turns around. Like when you're right, when you're in healthcare, you, you're always washing your hands in between every patient and, and then some, so... Um, to me, it's, it's almost something I just do as a habit. Yeah. Um, so. And, uh, well to already diverge, uh, school teachers have the same issue uh, mm-hmm. of always getting sick at least for the first couple of years. And then they apparently get a really robust immune system after that. Yeah. And so the, the irony of this is I'm, you know, I'm an adult physical therapist. My wife's a pediatric physical therapist. So I got sick. She didn't. I think she's used to seeing all those germs. Her, her immune system's developed for that. And my immune system and it probably hasn't seen a virus like that in 30 years. So like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what to do with that. So anyhow, that, that's sort of what brought this about. I, I think it's very interesting anyhow. Uh, so I want to talk about it at some point, And that sort of um, spurred me on to talk about it today. And also the Tour de France because it's a very long race. Uh, it's a tremendous stress load. And so... I think we we hear right. We're going to hear in the next couple of weeks that uh, this rider had a bad day, or this rider had to withdraw because he had a a flu, he had a stomach bug, he had a respiratory tract infection, and wasn't able to continue the ride. And so I kind of wanted to to dig in a little bit and talk about well, why does that happen, and maybe what are the things that we can do as riders to reduce our risk there. So uh, with that, I'll I'll dive in. Uh, and so there's a there's sort of a principle that we talk about. It's like exercise, generally speaking, is going to be good for your immune system. 
So going from sedentary to a moderate level of exercise generally improves your immune system, makes you more resilient. Now, when you go from moderate amount of exercise to heavy train loads over long periods of time, there's a little bit of debate. Um, generally, it's like, well, it probably makes you more susceptible. It makes your immune system a little bit weaker. Uh, and I'm not going to dive in to all the cellular level things that we can measure. Like, oh, well, what are the T cells doing? What are the lymphocytes doing? Uh, you know, what are the various measures of the white blood cells? And we talk about, about red blood cells a lot. Um, that's our oxygen carrying capacity. That's what we're familiar with with cyclists. White blood cells have the immune function. So I'm not going to talk very specifically about all those things that the white blood cells do and how we measure those. Uh, I'm going to keep it a little bit higher level. Do you have a higher level uh, how they measure the strength of your immune system? Yeah. So in athletes, we look at what's your risk of developing an upper respiratory tract infection. That's one of the most common things that we look at. Upper respiratory tract infections are very common. And so when we kind of when they measure that in the studies, what they'll look at is, you know, okay, there is intervention, there's a control. And what was the you know, per, uh, percentage of people in each group that end up with an upper respiratory tract infection in X time period um, after the intervention? Okay. So I'm going to look at that as sort of a global uh, understanding of is the immune system doing what it's supposed to do? And so I think the other stuff we'd be here all night and next week and there's right, whole university level courses that talk about the specifics of the immune system and I haven't dusted off those textbooks in a very long time. So uh, so I think one, we know our training is a stressor um, and we know that stress, be it physical stress like from our training or psychological stress from our job or you know family life or home or whatever uh, leads to increases in adrenaline and cortisol. Oftentimes, these are called stress hormones. And in, in the short term, having a, a rise in those things is, is largely useful. It is our fight or flight response. Uh, and right, it's there to save our skin. It's sort of ancient, but it's there to save our skin from a short-term stress. Um, it's like a little shout-out from my favorite book. It's called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. It's by Robert Sapolsky. He's a Stanford professor, and it goes into all the things that having too much stress does in a system-by-system way. It's a very interesting book. He's got a great sense of humor. So not to go too far down that road, but very interesting read if you're like really interested in like what's the effect of stress on our bodies. Um, it's a fascinating, fascinating book. So let's just take it that any stress, be it our trained stress, psychological stress, is going to increase our cortisol and adrenaline, and those are well supported in the research that those will compromise immune function. Um, many papers cite this interaction and it's not, like I said, it's not just specific to exercise stress and um, the numbers are perhaps between a 15 and 25% reduction in immune function mm. and that's looking at the cellular level. So I'm just going to leave that number out there okay. um, and then we'll go into the, um, the upper respiratory tract infections. So does... Um... Like I, I heard similar numbers for if you, if you, they don't want college kids to throw all nighters for studying. Mm -hmm. And one of the statements is, you know, your immune system drops by 20 to 25% if mm -hmm. you do one all nighter. And is that the same? You just have um, higher cortisol levels. Is that the same? Yeah. Right? Higher cortisol, high, higher adrenaline. Yeah. You're activating that, that stress response. I think there may be some other things that happen from an all nighter that I may touch on a little bit here as it relates to training as well. Okay. Um, so like I said before, generally the feeling was as you move into from moderate activity to more training, 
you're more likely to develop these upper respiratory tract infections, except it's not always true. Um, when you look at higher level athletes, so comparing say international level athletes to national level athletes, they actually end up with fewer upper respiratory tract infections. So this is interesting um, and I'll talk about perhaps why that is. And also another thought that was commonly held but has sort of been debunked now is that you'd be more likely to get sick around a competition and it turns out it's actually less likely. I think that mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take a stab at that. I didn't read anything specifically on that, but I'll take a stab at why I think that may be. Uh, so let's talk about higher level athletes versus you know national or lower level athletes and why. National level athletes are still very high, so that's interesting. Y- yes, yes. Um, and so what the, what the research paper suggested, and I think I would agree with, is so one, resources, right? High, high level athletes can be focused on training and that becomes their job. They're focused on their training and their athletic performance. Whereas at you know some of the lower levels, and like, like you said, national level is still quite high, but some may still have a full-time or part-time job to pay the bills. Okay. And so now you have two things competing for your time and your energy. And so that additional stress from the job may bleed over. And if you just think about it as filling up a cup, right? Your body can only tolerate so much stress before your adrenaline cortisol levels are too high and they compromise your immune system then job stress plus the training stress now makes that cup overflow a little bit. Um, so, but the other thing that's interesting, um, and sort of reminded me of an example I'd read about was they suggested is perhaps behavioral or learned, um, learned skills, if you will. Uh, and the examples they gave were hygiene and sleep. So like being very, um, particular about your hygiene, right? Um, I, I mean, think about this being a healthcare professional, right? always washing my hands, always washing my hands, right? And we know hand washing is one of the best ways to prevent illness. And this reminded me of something that I read about uh, the British track cycling team before the London Olympics and how they were trying to you know, squeeze the most out, right? And this aggregation of marginal gains philosophy and that they all carried hand sanitizer with them at all times, for one. And the other bit is that they all took their personal pillows with them when they traveled to try to improve their sleep, to maximize their sleep. So something was familiar. And I think this is things that we don't necessarily think about. This is something that the very high, high level folks are thinking about. Do you carry hand sanitizer with you at all times? Definitely not. I mean, I'm around it all the time, again, because I work in healthcare, but not, I would not carry it necessarily outside with Mm -hmm. me all the time with the thought of thinking of improving my performance, right? The reason I would take it with me is very different. Yep. Um, So just another thing, right, is are, are these the things that, international people have the assistance and the people that are you know on their team on their side thinking about for them whereas a national level or you know lower level athletes don't have that i guess you have it now you have us talking about it and suggesting like hey carry that hand sanitizer with you but even like you were saying with uh being employed um the cognitive load of thinking of all these things um not just this is like health stuffs but there's also performance stuff that you could be doing that is like a cognitive load to, um, you know, to, to become a better athlete. You just add these things up. There's just not enough time in the day or energy, you know, or brain strength or mm-hmm. whatever. And that's what's uh, like British cycling has people who it's like optimize our athletes. You know, that's right. you have a 40 hour a week job to optimize them and brainstorm all these ways that we can get more value out of them. 
Right. Or you have groups like the Australian Institute of Sport, which I think are sort of world class and world leading in the sports sciences and trying to figure out right, how can you get the best out of these athletes. And for population, right, Australia has an outsized medal hall at the Olympics. Yep. Like well, well beyond you know the per capita that you would expect. And then they've devoted the resources and they have the scientists and the coaches all putting their heads together on what are the things you can do to get these folks to optimize their performance. And um, I'm thinking about my time at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Um, they had, you know, they had like dorm rooms to, you know, two to a room and they had maid services for all the athletes mm-hmm. and the, the gym, the workout areas were a short walk, like a hundred meter walk away. The cafeteria was back 100 meters, but you were in this compound and they sort of wanted you to stay in there. Mm-hmm. There was like one bar across the street that... Uh... <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I've been up there at a conference before. I'm trying to think where that was. And the, clearly well, it wasn't memorable enough we for walked, me. So we walked there and, and they had all like a bunch of uh, pictures of all these Olympians who had, you know, uh, been patrons. But it, very sterile. And I mean, that's an international level... Um, thing and I'm thinking about more national level experiences uh, yeah there's like definitely a lower level of professionalism and stuff like that I'm I'm glad it's not a um, these international athletes are just inherently like born with a better immune system or something something like that it appears to be just behavioral rather than there's some suggestion there may be genetic components involved okay. there um, that I felt like that was a that's like a whole nother tangent and what are, what are we going to do with it right like I, I don't yeah. think I can help you with that other than tell you hey look I think you picked the wrong parents Let's focus on the controllables yeah, yeah. What, yeah what, what can we control so I think those are very easy things to control um, I'm gonna take a stab at the why less likely around competition than okay. than more likely and my feeling is presumably at least at the important events you're tapering Right, so your training load has tapered off before that event, so there is less stress in the system. Now, I think one of the hypotheses around why there'd be more is there's more mental stress around competition. Right, if you're you're anxious or thinking about you know how your performance is going to be and all those things, but if that's if that's compensated for by a reduction in physical stress, uh, that may be a piece of it. And I don't know, it may also depend on the athlete as well. Right? I think some athletes go into competition, they're confident, they're doing their tapering, so their overall stress level is much lower, and you have other athletes that are, are anxious before their events, and that's very stressful for them, and then that their overall stress, independent of reducing their training volume, their, their overall stress may be higher. Yeah, I had a friend who wanted to speculate about illness um, around the one-day classic specifically, because you you know pick a dice and put people's name on it and roll it and one of them will have an illness and be out of Perry roubaix or something and mm-hmm. you know his theory was that's just how deep they go in training to get the stimulus they need and i don't know if it's i don't i don't know um i think also you know there's um travel so if you're flying to your location mm-hmm. uh airplanes are just like a germ pod yep um, yep I mean, I think there's other pieces like uncommon food can be stressful. You know, yeah. you get something. That, I mean, although, again, these elite level athletes probably have that pretty well figured out. Mm-hmm. Although there is the story of uh, Usain Bolt and um, Beijing 
where yeah he had like 50 nuggets yeah he had a whole bunch of chicken nuggets (laughs) because that was the only food he could find that would sit well in his stomach basically Hmm. it was it was familiar and uh, you know chinese food i guess and jerk chicken are not uh, not similar not compatible in the stomach yeah Um, so yeah it's also weird that it you know he's such a anaerobic athlete that he wouldn't need more carbohydrates yeah Uh, i mean i don't know it's breaded right it's there's some (laughs) carbohydrates in the breading or something yeah um so yeah i mean i I guess my feeling is it may just be about tapering maybe a piece of it to have a protective effect there yeah i mean when you go into a competition especially like these one day athletes not just one day classics riders but also um, olympians these are all like there's one day that i have to be the best i can be Mm -hmm. it's crazy when you taper how much you pop up like you're doing you're doing 300 watts in your threshold intervals for three months maybe you get to like 310 slowly you taper you're up at like 330 for some reason you really really um that's the the recovery and the super compensation yeah that's why we train and so then to you know to say oh their immune system is compromised that doesn't really align with this idea of the super compensation because your immune system will also super compensate i assume yeah, well, your immune system does, but yes, your body compensates for many things, right? It, it adapts. Um, the immune system sort of adapts in different ways. That's cellular, though. I'm not going. I'm not going there. Oh, not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> it's too. It's too complicated. Uh, it's very. It's very very interesting though how the immune system learns, understands, and right. Like I should not get that same stomach bug again, or if I do, I should get it with much less um, strength, right? Because my immune system should work it out and be able to defend me from okay. it. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about with elite level athletes is sort of habituation to the stimulus, right? And Greg Lamont has this famous quote. See, there I go, Tour de France stuff again. Um, right? It doesn't get easier, you just get faster. Some, mm-hmm. Something along those lines. I think I got it right. But, and, you know, I think about those guys riding the Tour de France right now, and you, know, you look at the stages and everything, and I think about, okay, so if I had to go ride that stage with them, which I, I get dropped in like the first 10 miles, but um, neither here nor there. Uh, they'd probably be lucky if I made it that far, depending on how, how well, mellow they were. Well, once you get were. in the cars, you could probably draft a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> For a little bit. It'd be like my commute to work. Uh, but then, uh, like, what would my TSS be? It's hypothetically, right? If I had to if I had to stay in the pack that entire day. And what is their TSS for, for that stage? And obviously, it's way lower for them than it is for me. Yeah. Uh, and why? Well, because they're way fitter than I am. And so they've, they've adapted though over time, right? Like, they didn't wake up one day and like, I'm going to ride the Tour de France. They trained for many years and developed, you know, a higher threshold and mm-hmm. this great capacity. And now they can maintain this velocity for this longer period. Like 200 watts for five hours means something different to you than to, uh, you know, Tour de France. That's, after. that's exactly it. Right. So the total stress, like, yes, it is a stressful race. You're doing this for three weeks in a row. There's a lot of load. But relative, like, like I'd be like on IV every day and, you know, dragging <laughs> myself to the finish, looking pretty haggard. And obviously, I mean, they look pretty haggard, too. So Todd, there's a no needle policy in the Tour de France. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. This, this is why they're doing it. And I'm not, among other reasons. Um, but they're, they're adapted to it. And so, you know, I think pound for pound, they're, they're better off. Uh, better able to handle that and the total stress for their system is less yeah, they're right? just immune system isn't going as deep in a hole um, yeah well you're or they're not producing as much cortisol and adrenaline okay right as say a national level athlete or you know mm-hmm. a, an amateur would to do the, to do that level right to do the same fixed load 
um, as opposed to like relative load, right? If you said, hey, go, if you asked you or me to go, okay, I want you to go do this TSS for 21 days, we'd be pretty beat, right? But it'd be it's completely different. Yeah. Um, and so I remember seeing Michael Wood's um, performance chart and I think he did, I think this was for the tour of Spain, but he started at like 80 because he tapered a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the end of the tour of Spain, he was like 190. Um, so there, it's no joke that oh, yeah. the amount of TSS they put in, but it's, it's crazy that, you know, Vroom and these other riders are still doing over six Watts per kilo at 180 CTL or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're amazing athletes. They're amazingly well adapted. And I think that goes, that goes a long way uh, to be. And I was just sort of contemplating this before we started. I wonder what the, if you look across the standings, like if you could know their total TSS over the course of the race, I wonder how that correlates with the standings. Hmm. I would, I would posit that, you know, there's probably a U-shaped curve or an inverted U, right? Like a little bit lower is better, but not necessarily the the lowest probably doesn't win it. Yeah. And then obviously as you start to move up in TSS, your relative ranking probably goes down to a point and then it's like, it doesn't really matter anymore. Well, it depends. I think, um, which, which of the Yates brothers, uh, made it to stage 19 before, um, we falling apart. I, I mean, he was intentionally increasing his TSS. It felt like at times and the commentators, you know, noted that. And I, I think that even some of the DSs for other teams were like, yeah, he's, you know, he's really, he's gaining time, but he's really digging himself a hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got punished for that. So, I wonder, you know, thinking about the Tour de France in terms of how do we get the most time and how do we minimize our TSS? Mm-hmm. That's uh, one way to think about it that could be valuable for sure. Okay. So that's sort of like high level overview, a little bit of a tangent on like what, what happens. Okay. Too much exercise, more stress, more adrenaline, more cortisol, weakens the immune system, therefore more likely to get upper respiratory tract infections. So next question, well, what do we do about that? What can we do about that? Yes, taper, uh, quit your job and get rid of the stress. These, yeah, who needs a job anyway? Um, but okay, these things aren't practical. So what things have been tried in the research? Um, one thing, like nutritional interventions, uh, mega doses of vitamins. So um, don't go do a mega dose of vitamin E. They tested this with Ironman athletes taking huge doses. Um, what is a huge dose? So in that one, I want to say it was 100x of the uh, the RDI. Okay. So like, you know it, what what says 100% on your nutrition label? So I've I've responded well to uh, 200 to 400 milligrams, but this sounds like two grams or something. This is, like is that. very high. Yes. Okay. Um, so they actually were more likely to get upper respiratory tract infections hmm. uh, after their event. And so this is always like all these studies, all these nutritional studies that like that were set up in the form of take supplement X for you know time period Y before your event, and then for a couple of weeks after event we're going to see if you get an infection or not, and then we're going to compare the two. Okay. okay. Um, so interestingly, with vitamin C, I think you certainly see this one touted a lot, especially uh, winter time comes around, right? Everybody's getting colds, and so oh, we'll take vitamin C. Um, that one, so they did 15x the um, the RDI, and 
it's seemingly helped with ultra marathoners. Like the relative rate of respiratory infections was about half in those who took it compared to those who did not. Um, but then they repeat the study and with marathon distance running, it didn't help. Hmm. So there's no, and so I want, I, I look at that and I wonder like, well, is there something about the load, right? Is, was a marathon, like a marathon still intense. I've never, I've personally never run a marathon, done half a marathon. That was hard enough. Um, but like, so a marathon's intense. Uh, but I mean, ultra marathons a lot. And this was a 90K. So that's basically 54 ish miles. It's twice of a, it's a little more than twice of a standard marathon. My initial reaction is that um, for these longer events, your TSS will be higher. Um, Absolutely. Because your time under load, even if it's at um, zone two. Like your TSS is going to be higher, so I wonder if that was the cause of the change. Like uh, marathoners, who was low enough TSS just to not, you know, not allow measure them. an effect. Yeah, yeah and then um, the ultra marathon runners, it, it actually had value. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I'm thinking. Um, and so the it's interesting in that the conclusion from the paper that reviewed these was well, there's not enough evidence for vitamin C, and that, I think that's that's fine. I think, you know, as we just said, I think there's maybe a different spin on it. I think the spin yeah. may be, yes, vitamin C can work if the load is sufficiently high and we just haven't elucidated what that load is. It's perhaps something that happens in an ultra marathon that doesn't occur in a, a standard distance marathon. Yeah. And um, I'd, I'd like to do an episode on supplements um, at some point, but to give you a little hint, uh, if there's not a reason, you know, one philosophy is if there's not a reason not to take it and you know it's not going to hurt you, you know, why not take it? Um, and so it's it's inconclusive as to whether vitamin C helps or not, but uh, how much does it hurt to, you know, pop a 1,000 milligram, mm -hmm. you know, capsule of vitamin C? Right. And I think they were doing 600 in this particular study, right? So okay. it's even less than that level. Um yeah, that's that's a great question, and these were limited uh, duration to it's only six weeks. I want to say beforehand that they were taking it, so it's not like they were um, chronically supplementing with. What it. would be great is if you actually ate enough citrus fruit to, to get that to get much. that anyway. Yeah, no, and that's there's a lot of other benefits for absolutely you know. fiber, and I think all the other chemicals in there, right? I think there's so much that we don't know. It's just a little opinion, and is the interactions of the chemicals and substances that are in fruit and foods just naturally yeah right? I, i'd like to hit on this in our supplement uh, okay episode. so i'll i'll leave that there uh the other thing that was interesting is i was just researching this a little bit is there was a protocol published for a cochrane review uh, about the effect of vitamin c and immunity um just this year in 2019 which tells me that obviously there's been a lot of research done and the jury is still out so somebody okay. really wants to definitively answer this question hmm. and if you're not familiar with Cochrane reviews these are sort of the the highest standard of like reviewing the available research um, they're very they're very systematic they're very rigorous in the the papers that they select um, to then sort of weigh in and say like yes this is the this is the consensus on this topic and just as a side like the story so Cochrane was actually a person was a physician um, and the story is very interesting about him. I'm not going to go into it because I, I don't recall it in, in perfect detail because I, I think I'd screw it up. But the the punchline is sort of he he had, you know, a condition. He went to see another doctor, 
and they basically told him he has this life-threatening illness and they need to operate immediately. Well, it turns out he had something that was benign and that sort of motivated him to investigate you know, what are the scientific underpinnings of what we're doing here in medicine. Mm-hmm. Now, this is many, many years ago. But it's a very interesting story. I'm sure Google will give you a, a very accurate uh, yeah, uh, depiction yeah. on that if you're curious about it. Um, so another random aside. And then here, this hit something on that we've talked about before. Um, when you supplement with carbohydrates, when you're working out, it reduces your cortisol. And since higher cortisol mm. compromises your immune function, lower cortisol will result in less of that happening. Um, this also pertains to your fueling status before you go training. So if you train on low fuel or you're generally under fueled, that's going to uh, increase your cortisol. So again, just I think this big picture, right, is making sure you're checking all the boxes or at least taking take care of your, your nutritional needs. And because if you do end up compromising that, that can have an impact on your immune system. And then uh, if you get sick, that's going to impact your training. And you can see there's a, a yeah. snowball effect happening. And we here. did an episode on carbohydrate timing and we kind of mentioned that you are taking a bit of a risk when you do uh, fasted riding. Mm-hmm. And this helps illustrate that, uh, you know, you better be dialed with your immune function if you're going to do fasted riding. Yeah. I think that's one of those things where it's, you know, use sparingly and use it appropriately in your training, right? So you, you always want to be thinking about how, how, how does your overall training fit together? What's the overall load that you're exposing your body to? And I think I'll just make this point now is your, your training, training is about stress. You have to stress the body to make it adapt. And I think the, the most important thing that I take away from looking at this is you want to apply the most meaningful stresses, right? So not going out and doing a hard train ride and not taking any food with you. That's, that's silly. That's, un, that's unneeded stress that doesn't help you adapt. But, you know, doing one extra interval because you're well-fueled, you're feeling strong, that does help you adapt at the end of the day. So doing applying the right stress to yield the benefit yep. that you want. Okay, so two last things I want to talk about for immunity. Um, one, for just a, from an interventional standpoint, probiotics. I know probiotics and the microbiome are getting a lot of press right now. It's a very hot topic. Um, conveniently, some researchers have looked into this for specifically athletes and endurance athletes even, and they're the effect of uh, upper respiratory tract infections. Uh, the good news here is either consuming some yogurt or having a probiotic supplement seems to lead to reduction in uh, upper, upper respiratory tract infections in endurance athletes. So if you're trying to get some of that protein after your training or you're looking for some more protein in your diet, uh, yogurt may be a, a good place to look for that. Uh, it's going to have those probiotics and it, it may help your immune system. And um, the, the bacteria in Greek yogurt specifically helps mitigate the effects of lactose if you're concerned about that as well. Yep. So last, last thing, um, again, this is just inspired by my, my recent illness. Um, it's like, so why do you feel muscle achiness when you're sick? Um, and it's a, it's an inflammatory response and it's actually, um, related to some of the immune system cells, cytokines. Um, and they, they do actually break down some of the muscle proteins a little bit, uh, to release the amino acids to be used by, uh, some of the other components of the immune system. 
So it's actually it's actually adaptive for you. I know it's like, but what? Why am I so sore? This I don't. If I feel like I had a, a big workout, um, and it's, it has to do with how they um, how these chemicals act on the. The article said pain receptors. We don't really call them pain. We call them nociceptors now. The research has been updated a bit, um, but how it it acts on these uh, nociceptors or pain receptors, if you will, uh, in the colloquial term, uh, in the muscle. And so you're getting a little bit of muscle breakdown, but there's also some of these cells are uh, acting directly on those receptors and making them a little bit more sensitive. So I thought it was just interesting. It's like, man, I feel like I just did a massive ride, except I've been on the couch all day. Hmm. So Um, do you think that supplementation with either um, branch chain amino acids or like whey protein or something? I, to prevent muscle breakdown. Yeah, to mitigate the effects or the soreness. I don't think it's going to change the soreness. Um, I think that's where aspirin comes in. Uh, that's the that's the chemical that's going to block that um, that response. That's going to help with that. Um, you know, there's a there's a ton of research around glutamine, this amino acid, um, and that's particularly in the medical like burns in particular because that's a huge load in the system for rebuilding. And they've done research on athletes and um, and talking about immune function, and they find no effect, and it doesn't mm. it doesn't really reduce it. And even though it is a key, it's one of the most utilized uh, amino acids for the immune system. It doesn't really move the bar as far as athletes are concerned. So I think it the athletic stress, at least in the studies that I've read, isn't sufficient. Whereas like a burn unit and like massive trauma to the skin is sufficiently stressful yeah. um, to to warrant glutamine supplementation at, at usually at very high levels in those situations like 20 to 40 grams is what okay. i've seen that's a lot so that's that's what i've got for uh immune system and athletic performance um yeah i think it you know if we could certainly dig in some more uh, on, on another day if we want to talk about cells and stuff uh, but for now i think you know the key takeaways are stress is stress Make sure it's useful stress uh, for the immune system. And uh, I think the other things are we can, we can think about some supplementation, but you know, first and foremost, make sure that you're appropriately fueled for your training to reduce any yeah. undue stress or any, or any compromise that's unnecessary to your immune system. Yeah. Um, this is all like pretty interesting. And uh, actually, it fits into my topic a little bit as well about Uh, getting the right stress. So I'm going to talk about sauna work. Uh, I call it sauna work, um, but it's basically heat acclimatization. (laughs) It's a mouthful. (laughs) And um, I was first, if you'll let me uh, diverge a little bit from this topic, um, I had a, you know, back in Delaware, it's 50 degrees, um, and we had an unusually hot collegiate race weekend. And the first day we had a road race that went fine. The second day it was like 85. So go from 50, 45 straight to 85. And so we're all struggling naturally. And it's a, it's a 50 minute race and I felt horrible. And, um, that's, you know, talking to my coach afterwards, that's what, you know, he was like, maybe you should do some you know, some heat work, some sauna work. And, uh, you know, that started to get me into this a little bit and learn about it. But, um, the story that I want to tell, uh, just because, you know, we're here already is that, um, the, the race was at West point they hosted and 
I was friends with the coach from West Point at the time, and I remember talking to him after the race, and I, I you know, got mid-pack or whatever, and I talked to him, and I said, yeah, you know, I, I didn't feel very good during the race at all, and, you know, I just decided to just pedal it in, and he said, you should, I mean, you need to go to, and he, he had an acronym, but I was like, what is that? And he said, the it's the mental strength class that every, uh, like, first year at West Point has to take, and he said... Just because you felt like crap the whole race has nothing to do with your ability in the last two laps. And um, yeah, I was like kind of embarrassed when he said that. And I was like, you're right. Uh, And that's, it was just such a good lesson. And I, I can think of three or four podiums where I was last wheel the whole race. And then with two to go, you snake your way to the front and you get a podium. And um, I think that people who are willing to do that are, you know, they're going to be more successful and, if you ever feel down, feel like, oh, I could just bag it here, um, take a gel, finish your bottle, uh, sit in, you know, find a good wheel and uh, relax. And there's no reason that like always sprint. I mean, y- you have to um, because you never know what's going to happen. You don't know how tired everyone else is. Yeah. I mean, I think I would agree with you. I've definitely had those days where you're you're out there and you're definitely like, I could definitely like just in right now and it'd be cool but you say all right now I, I i showed up here to race like i i got to finish this thing out yep. and and you surprise yourself and i think i think once you have one of those then you recognize it right like, it's it's part of your development as a as a cyclist i think or as an athlete in general mm-hmm. okay yeah sometimes you just need to to gut it out and you will get a decent result because you were you were willing to go there yeah, and uh, you know, one one more hill. Stay in the front group. One more hill. Mm-hmm. And you say that for every hill, and then you know, before you know, it, it's the end of the race, and it's That's time right. to sprint. So, anyway, back to sauna work. Um, I so you know that that was the event that it was like, oh, you know, maybe I could do some um, sauna work, and um, I did some research, and Tim Ferriss actually had some articles on this. If you don't know who he is, he's a like really popular like performance athlete. Uh, uh, I mean, he does sort of like wacky. He's um, like a um, biohacker, I think, is the best. I think that's way to what he, he how he refers to himself. Um, but basically, he he's a big fan, and he had a couple uh, researchers who were big into sauna stuff. And uh, basically, like an overview of what you do is you sit in a sauna, and you get hot, and then you get out of the sauna, and then your body adapts and. You know, like Todd was saying, we want to get the correct stress on our body. So the question is, is exposing myself to a really hot temperature the correct adaptation that I want? And I was at a team uh, team dinner, and uh, there are a few former world champions uh, on my team, uh, like Masters riders, and one of them was going for like sprint worlds. And I was like, hey, you heard about this sauna work stuff. And so I had a little group um, sort of circled around me and I said, do you know what sauna work is good for? And each of them had a different answer. So it seems that there's this idea that people know that sauna work is good for you, but they don't really know why. And I think that's what's so interesting about it is there's so many different things that it can be helpful for. So uh, first we can say there's normally two types of saunas. There's dry saunas and wet saunas. So uh, wet sauna is you um, like there's there's a uh, H2O dissolved into the air 
um, and your the oxygen in the room is lower than usual um, because of the dissolved water. And um, this is, I think, generally what's more thought of as um, a typical sauna, but actually um, dry saunas are more common, which is just a heater in a room with wooden benches mm -hmm. and you sit there. Um, and uh, one of the people in the group said, oh, saunas are good because they boost your EPO. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe they were referring to wet saunas where you have lower oxygen levels. This is, you know, sea altitude podcast uh, on decreased oxygen levels uh, causing an increase in EPO and a subsequent increase in red blood cells. Um, and, you know, I noted, so that's like a wet sauna. And, you know, what if you only have access to a dry sauna? And um, the things that we know for sure that uh, dry sauna can help you with are um, increasing your growth hormone levels. So this is the one that uh, Tim Ferriss is most excited about in his protocol of uh, two by 20 minutes with a 30 minute rest in between. You know, he claims that he has a study. You know, he, he doesn't give the study, but he claims that you get twice the growth hormones of, of regular levels. Well, and so, you know, Tim Ferriss also does a lot of um, N equals one experimentation too, right? Like mm -hmm. he always, he's often testing on himself. Yeah. So um, you do get an increase. I found a few studies that, you know, we noted higher growth hormone levels, um, which that's not a bad thing for cyclists. Um, the other thing that is not as commonly noted in the literature is um, higher HSP values. And Todd, you know what heat shock proteins are, right? No, I think you're going to have to okay. refresh me. So heat shock proteins are... Um, you know, there are layers of proteins, how they, um, amino acids form together mm -hmm. to create proteins. And the, you know, there are three levels that all proteins must have. And then the fourth level is the way they fold together. Mm -hmm. And, um, the way that proteins fold is really influential on their ability to function normally. Mm -hmm. Um, so HSPs are, they're heat shock proteins, which means that when a protein is exposed to heat these other proteins prevent them from denaturing okay so when your cells are really warm and you have a high level of heat shock proteins you continue to operate optimally or correctly up to a higher level because you have more heat shock proteins to resist denaturing so to put it differently it's like if i put more insulation in my house right my house sort of you know not that temperature and function are the same in the human body because those are different but in essence, everything in my house stays at the same temperature if I have more insulation. It's like providing insulation for my pro my cells yep. so that they can you know, basically act as if their temperature was not raised. Yep. So um, they so HSPs aren't just for heat. And um, I want to say first that uh, there are a few studies that noted that uh, people who did regular sauna work were um, there hot temperature like a big limiter for endurance athletes is the heat that you produce mm -hmm. and um, eventually your central governor says we got to shut this down because your body's getting too hot those who had done sauna work um were able to withstand like two degrees celsius higher body temperature i think they went from 39 to 41 if i have those numbers correct wow that's a pretty high core temperature uh, you're... yeah so um basically they put you in a hot room and well, um, I guess is it is that was that measuring? I'm that assuming, was to failure. I, I assume that's measuring core temperature, but right, that's not skin temperature. No, I think that's core temperature, and that's and that's um, and that that's the temperature that you give up at. Mm -hmm. um, so 
not you know your typical temperature but that's like a maximal effort yeah um, so and and base is 37 yeah so uh yeah so normal athletes will will be okay with a two degree celsius rise and then Mm -hmm. uh, people who do sauna work a four degree celsius rise and so i think that's a you know if you were sick that's a pretty high fever right like if you were to be sick you'd be like "Mm, you should probably go for urgent (laughs) care if you have a fever like that yeah but um i mean endurance athletes some of them look sick uh Uh, you know yeah well there's there's heat stress right so anyhow continue so um the other thing with saunas is the general health benefits for sedentary people so uh, there are noted examples Uh, norwegians are huge fans of saunas so it's easy to do uh population studies on them and basically the the people who had the highest sauna use had the lowest mortality rates and the other one, uh, similarly, was they had the lowest rates of dementia, the people who used the sauna the most. And the argument for that is uh, back to the heat shock proteins. Of These heat shock proteins prevent denaturing, and there's an argument that dementia uh, involves uh, denaturing of some of the proteins in your brain. And so ha- having higher heat shock protein levels, uh, you could have less denaturing. Mm. So um, that's just like uh, back to the um, why not sort of argument of like these don't sound like bad things um the other some other useful stuff is like you have less electrolytes in your sweat over time um they did a 10 day Mm -hmm. you know use your use the sauna every day for 10 days and they measured the amount of electrolytes in the sweat and it was lower and so if i'm not mistaken with this this has to do with uh independent of sauna like if you trained in hot weather uh, your your sweat becomes less concentrated uh, in an effort to make your cooling more efficient, right? When you sweat, you get water on the skin, and then the water evaporates, and that gives the cooling effect. Obviously, you want to maintain your electrolytes, so your your body dilutes your sweat, so you can get more water out and more cooling effect um, to then be able to better withstand exercising or just being in a, a hot environment. Mm-hmm. So if you have, if you're someone who has electrolyte balance issues, uh, sauna could be yeah. beneficial. Uh, some of the other stuff is like there's claims that it's good for your pores. Um, there's also claims that it removes toxins from your body. These are a little more disputed, um, but worth noting if if you want to. I thought the sweat was just. Uh, yeah, I so. But you know, anyhow. Yeah, I'm not big on the removing thought, toxins. About the liver. Thing, but... Uh, manage most of that stuff yeah so the the last thing that uh, is a big benefit for cyclists is sauna work opens the capillaries at your skin level Mm -hmm. to increase blood flow to your skin and this is part of the way that you cool yourself off is basically you just increase the heat at the surface and allow it to escape radiate Um, so uh, one thing that I noted with uh, Andrew Talansky, now retired, heat always got so red. Uh, I remember seeing a couple of, you know, he crosses the line and they zoom in on his face and he's just so red. And that's partially because he's pale, but partially because, you know, he has really good heat, um, you know, ability to withstand heat and his capillaries are opening up to mm-hmm. cool him off. And so... I mean, if you struggle with heat stuff, maybe if you're a bigger rider, we, I don't think we mentioned on the podcast, but, um, you know, skinny climbers, their surface area is so much better, um, to, you know, total mass yeah, to surface, surface area. area to mass. Yep. 
is so much better than like a heavier rider. Even, um, even if you're super fit, you, you just like have so much more muscle mass um, mm-hmm. to surface area. So, uh, if you are like a bigger rider, maybe you need to convince your body to send some more blood to the skin to try and cool you off. If that's something you struggle with. So these are all good, um, health benefits. There aren't many downsides other than to doing it, doing the work, the time. Um, yeah. So the time, but also the fatigue. So we talked about getting the most value out of your stress and, um, sauna work is really tough if you didn't hydrate properly before and during your workout, the, you know, the main protocol that they have is basically when you're done your, when you're done your workout on the bike, you know, drive to your sauna location, or hopefully if you're rich, you have your own sauna. Um, and you hop in the sauna and you try and keep your body temperature up from the uh, workout. Mm-hmm. And that's to, you know, more quickly get into that zone where you start to receive benefit. And you, you know, you do your protocol. The one um, I had, of, I lost the original document, but I had a protocol from Stanford, um, a, a um, it was their athletic performance team, mm-hmm. um, and it they recommended a thirty minute protocol. Basically, you you sit in a sauna at one seventy or one eighty for thirty minutes, and you're done. And um, that's to be done after your workout. And the main reason for that is you're already hot, but also you it's stressful to your body. Mm-hmm. Your heart rate will get up to one twenty, one thirty, one forty, um, just sitting there and you wouldn't, you don't normally want to raise your heart rate to 140 on a recovery day, um, or, you know, dehydrate yourself dramatically on a recovery day. So normally you have to do it after your workout, but you're already toast from your workout. So, um, it can be tough in execution. And the other thing is, um, a lot of times you can't stay in the sauna that long if you're not used to it. Um, some of the symptoms of, like overheating, uh, like general discomfort. Um, you stop sweating. That's really scary. If you get to that point, um, dizziness, if you, if you have any of these symptoms, you're supposed to get out right away. Um, although I would say the general discomfort thing, you know, maybe you could stay in a few more minutes. Um, but your goal with the sauna is actually to heat up your internal organs. Um, so you, you know, you want to sit there, you want to wait for your organs to heat up. And then when you get out, you want to make sure that they cool themselves off. So that's a big part of the stimulus is, um, you know, getting your body to do itself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's really common with saunas is let's go in the sauna and then let's go in the cold, cold pool right afterwards. And, you know, it feels, feels weird or feels good to, you know, jump into a cold pool after sitting in the sauna and have all the water absorb your heat. Yeah. And you get no stimulus, uh, no training stimulus from this. And also you shouldn't bring water into the sauna either because it's the same thing of preventing your, your organs from getting the stimulus that they need. So it's, it's really tough to, you know, you're like already thirsty and tired after your ride, get in the sauna for 30 minutes you know, no water. You just have to sit there on these uncomfortable benches. Um, there are some, some things like that can make it tough. Um, also you're already low on sodium, you know, you're, you're digging yourself a bigger hole. So, uh, I think that a lot of top athletes have experimented with saunas. It seems to be a hot enough topic that nice pun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, accidental pun. Um, it's a hot enough topic that uh, people have thought about it and probably experimented with it. And I, you know, a lot of top pros are very hush hush about what they do. And I wonder how many of them have decided that the value is there. Um, I think that for me, it's the value is there if you're dialed. Um, if you have every, excuse me, everything else in order, if you um, are training really well, if you don't have any other stressors, you know, you don't have a job, all these things, um, you could get value out of the sauna. Um, but this is just like your blood flow restriction training. It's tough to, you know, if you're a normal person, it's tough to get value out of it. You should be focusing on the big fish, like finishing your workouts fully and sleeping enough and um, things like that. So the last thing that I want to talk about is um, the methods specifically outlined in the Stanford document. So they said basically um, make sure you're warmed up. If you didn't have a workout that day that you wanted to do it, this is specifically for um, optimization for a hot race like say you're a uh, you know a Washington resident and you're getting ready to go travel to Arizona for uh, you know the death race or whatever um, it's a seven-day protocol and each day you warm up outside the sauna you know use the treadmill um, maybe do some light aerobic work make sure you break a sweat and then you want to get in the sauna for 30 minutes and you want to try your best to hit the number um, but at the same time you have to have the maturity to get out if you you know enter any any sort of dangerous zone and when I first did it I think I was at like 20 minutes and the next day 22 and um, you get to 30 eventually but if you're new to this stuff it's it's definitely tough um, the big thing is no water during and also you should wait 20 minutes before uh, any showering or water afterwards if you really feel like you have to drink water you should just swish it in your mouth instead of swallowing it um, to really keep anything that'll like cool you off away and force your body to cool your, you know, to cool cool itself. Um, I think I don't know if it was this document or another one, but um, a fun fact is the your goal is to get the organs up to 103 degrees. Wow, um, that's like the the sweet spot where they uh, really start to hyper adapt. Um, and then of course the all the safety concerns make sure that you know you know what you're doing and you don't push it too far um, that's a big reason why they tell juniors not to do sauna work is because a lot of them don't have the maturity to um, you know to, to stop when it's time to stop and um, this particular protocol is recommended if you only for a hot race so they don't say this this is not something that you should be doing every week or every other week um, but you know, someone like Tim Ferriss or these, um, these researchers in sauna, they recommend, you know, two, three times a week can be good. Uh, the people with the lowest mortality rate, if we go back to that, were using the sauna every day, uh, which is quite a time commitment unless, uh, maybe if there's a social aspect to it, um, or something like that, that would allow you to justify it. I think that's a little over the top and also would definitely, inhibit your ability to train regularly so my personal opinion on uh, sauna stuff in my own experiences i think that it's tough to rehydrate for the next day especially if you end up doing it at night because that's you know you that's when you finish your ride that's when you have the chance to do it um, 
it's really tough to get up the next morning. You're always going to be a pound or two lighter and not in a good way. Um, and I also think that it does have a benefit. I'm not sure about like the growth hormone. I, I don't know if I've seen the effects of that. It's tough because you're also training hard. So how much of it is the training stimulus, stuff like that. But I do notice that I sweat a lot more, which could be a good thing. Um, if you feel like, you know, maybe you're doing your, your intervals on a hill and you feel so hot, um, and you, you have, uh, whatever, you know, you, you're like uncomfortably hot. Maybe this is a good thing for you know, increase your sweat rate, increase your cooling. Um, I'm not so sure about all these things with the, uh, the good pores, um, in, improving, you know, yeah. the getting rid of toxins or pushing anything out of your pores or anything like that. So I will say, I think I can see a benefit for folks. Like I, I tend to train in the morning and so it's generally cool around here in the morning. Uh, obviously not all my races are going to be in the morning. So I can, I can see a value for someone like myself, like doing a protocol like that, uh, in the summer months before, uh, you know, potentially a hot event or where I'd be likely to have a hot event where like I go do my training in the morning and I hop into the sauna after my training uh, and then go on with my day try to get some of that heat acclimation when I can't actually go out and train in the heat. Yeah. I think that this is, if you can mitigate the negative effects of this, there's no reason not to do it. And this is what I was saying with the pros. Can they, do they? Um, these are the questions you have to ask. And honestly, you have to experiment on your own. Mm -hmm. um, some people are really good at rehydrating others, not so much. Um, and some people respond really well as if that's the piece that they were missing was, um, you know, getting used to the heat, uh, other people, you know, not so much. So I'd encourage you to try it. I have a YMCA membership and, you know, every YMCA basically has a sauna. So it's, um, really convenient for me. If you're paying, uh, separately for a sauna, uh, you know, that becomes, inhibitory in your ability to do it um it's all personal experience and personal um you know how do you respond so uh i i like i do it i wish that i could do it more although i definitely get nervous when i'm already dehydrated and it's like ooh, i could really do a good sauna protocol tonight but i'm already you know super exhausted super dehydrated it's probably not worth the risk um but if, if I could be dialed enough to get into doing it consistently, I think it could definitely be beneficial. I know you, you've hinted about, you know, being dialed and kind of getting it, getting it right before you do your train session I'm, or your sauna session. I'm curious, do you, you know, weigh yourself and sort of, is that a check for you before, like as a, a go, no go for deciding to go and to do a sauna session? Uh, no, it's normally, um, how I feel in terms of like, is my mouth dry? You can yeah, have some of the, the, sim the symptoms. Of yeah. Symptoms of dehydration, but also thinking about your ride. Um, some courses for endurance rides are just, there aren't enough water stops. And mm -hmm. so maybe you did only one bottle an hour, whereas other routes you would do one and a half or two. And, um, or you had intervals and you know, you want to do your intervals in a specific spot, but you had an hour and a half of intervals and you already gassed through your bottles in 45 minutes, then stuff like that is, um, you know, you, you just know if you're, mm -hmm. if you're not hydrated. Um, other times 
you can really uh, set up your course so that you hit a bunch of water spots and you make sure you get it all down and you're good to go. Um, the other thing is I've tried it away from the workout further and that seems to work out better. It's almost like having a two a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you do your workout in the morning, you recover throughout the day, and then maybe you go to the sauna at night. And um, the cool thing about the two by 20 protocol is you have 30 minutes in between. That's perfect for stretching. And your body is super loose. Mm-hmm. So was warm. you have a, a, you know, a solid 30 minutes. You got to be there anyway to do the second half of the protocol. So, you know, why not do hamstring stretches? Why not do groin stretches? Um, and, you know, whatever you need to work on. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, sauna work. I would encourage you to try it. I dig it, but um, it has its downsides. And it's definitely tough uh, mentally as well. I guess I didn't talk on that, but just sitting there and just being hot, you know, you're like, I just want to go home, you know, but uh, you know, this is good for me. Uh, It can definitely be tough. Take a, take your phone in there, your iPad and do a little stroop test too, to get some mental challenge. Oh, geez. Well, so that's the other thing about with, um, electronics is a lot of lithium ion batteries. Um, yeah, probably aren't going to do that. Yeah. They decay at 170 Fahrenheit. So depending on how hot your sauna is. Yeah, you're probably at the uh, overheated warning on your yeah. cell phone pretty quick um, to have a mechanical stroop test of some sort. So the, the only other thing I have about saunas is I uh, I like talking to people in the sauna about why it's beneficial. And so if somebody's in there like drinking water, I always go like, you probably shouldn't be drinking water. <laughs> and then I say, I saw a study that. And, uh, you know, you uh, there was one guy in there who was like, I had really high toxin levels and I'm using the sauna to get rid of them. And you know, I, I saw him the next time and was like, I looked up the white papers on toxin removal and they don't look good. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. And um, it's always fun to kind of ask people, what are you doing in the sauna? And, and like I was saying about um, the people, you know, who are on my team and each of them had their own answer. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, some of you are right. And some of you, it's kind of a, you know, just a consensus that people think that that's what happens. Um, I don't know. And now you're going to refer people to this podcast. Yeah. Episode 13, second half. Talk all about it. you want to know everything about saunas. From a cyclist perspective. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think also, uh, like, thinking about hot weather races, there there's Patterson's Pass around here. And I remember the guy who won it two years ago um, was on Team Illuminate, which is the all-black kit. And he's just salt-stained all the way through. And um, my initial reaction was, how did he get so much salt? Um, especially because I saw him take the neutral water, which is simply just water. And um, it just, I remember really having issues with the heat and he seemed to be above that. Um, so I wonder if he has a secret trick or he was, he's also very lean. So that helps. Um, or lives in a really hot climate. Yeah. Or, you know, he's a professional cyclist. So just generically better. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have. Unless, uh, do you have any parting stories or anything like that? Uh, no, no parting words of wisdom this week. Uh, I think our little um, plug, though, you know, if you if you enjoyed our podcast, give us a review wherever you listen. And certainly, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us. I think Jason and I discussed in the future we will either have entire episodes based on your questions or take some time at the beginning of podcasts to answer questions that you all have for us yeah it would be fun to get a few questions that 
um, are, you know, maybe they're kind of personal and, you know, there's no documents that sort of address your topic and maybe it's a bit weird. Um, those are always fun to investigate, maybe a five to 10 minute little talk about them. Um, also on the topic of uh, sharing, reviewing, all that stuff, uh, it would be great if more people listened. Uh, we're pretty proud of our work, so it would be cool to, uh, you know, to have more people listen. So if, if you'd be willing to share, review, all that stuff, it, it just allows people to find us better. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening as always. Rubber side down. Yeah. And we'll talk to you soon.